For the chief musician, a psalm of David, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for Yahweh. He turned to me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He has put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and trust in Yahweh. Blessed is the man who makes Yahweh his trust and doesn't respect the proud, nor such as turn away to lies. Many, Yahweh my God, are the wonderful works which you have done and your thoughts which are toward us. They can't be declared back to you. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be counted. Sacrifice and offering you didn't desire. You have opened my ears. You have not required burnt offerings and sin offering. Then I said, Behold, I have come. It is written about me in the book of the scroll. I delight to do your will, my God. Yes, your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed glad news of righteousness in the great assembly. Behold, I will not seal my lips, Yahweh, you know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Don't withhold your tender mercies from me, Yahweh. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart has failed me. Be pleased, Yahweh, to deliver me. Hurry to help me, Yahweh. Let them be disappointed and confounded, together who seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be turned backward and brought to dishonor, who delight in my hurt. Let them be desolate by reason of their shame, but tell me, aha. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, Yet Yahweh, let Yahweh be exalted. But I am poor and needy. May the Lord think about me. You are my help and my deliverer. Don't delay, my God. So this is another Psalm of David, and uh, so, so definitely written by him, and it's written in the first person language. <laughs> so it sounds like, it just sounds exactly like he's talking about himself. Like, for example, it says right there in verse 1, I waited patiently for Yahweh, or in, you know, the NIV or whatever, it would say, I waited patiently for the Lord. So it sounds like David, and that is one of the, you know, popular interpretations of this psalm, but there's another very popular interpretation, and that this psalm is all about Christ. But it's interesting because it is in the first person language. So, to, you know, I waited patiently for the Lord. It's interesting to say that that's about Christ, especially given that he is the Lord. <laughs> and uh, then there's a third interpretation of this psalm and that it's talking about both of them. Now, one of the reasons why they say it's about Christ is because you've got verses in here like verse 7, which says this. It says, Behold, I have come, and it is written about me in the book of the scroll. So there are Bible experts who say it has to be about Christ because this, you know, Christ is written about so often in the old scrolls. You know, the book of Genesis proclaims Christ, you know, predicts his coming. And so many of the Old Testament writings have a prediction of Christ. And he's definitely written about in the scroll, so it must be about him. So a third 
But a third perspective is that it's about both of them. And that's the one that I think is correct. Because it's amazing to me how David is such a picture of Christ. And when we were going through the books of Samuel, we said this so many times that, you know, David was betrayed by his friend Ahithophel and, you know, his son tried to kill him. And that all of that was a picture of Jesus being betrayed and Judas. And David conquered the land and that was a picture of Jesus, you know, conquering sin. And so there's so many examples where David's like a, the physical example of what a Messiah would be like. Jesus came to do all the things that David did, but at the real level, the level of sin and death, you know, the real enemies. So I think Psalm 40 is just, it's that third option. It's not only about David or it's not only about Christ. It's both. <laughs> David's written the Psalm about himself and clearly in the Old Testament writings, he's found a spot that he thinks is talking about him. So in verse seven, he says, it's written about me in the scroll. And it must have talked about the kings that were to come and, and, or something like that. We don't know which verse he was thinking of. But there are so many verses here. For example, verse 2, it says, He brought me out of the, the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon the rock. Well, it's definitely true of David. You know, all that he went through was horrible, but the Lord established him. And what I've written here was, David, of course, was not literally in a pit. This is figurative language. But, um, but he was in a terrible pit just the same. <laughs> so sometimes when you use figurative language to speak of something, um, you might say, for example, I'm just in a horrible place right now. Well, right now, I'm just sitting in a chair. You know, I could say that I was in a horrible place, but the, the place that I would be speaking of would be way worse than any physical place. Like I could go down to the rubbish dump down the road, which is a smelly place where everyone in Rockhampton throws their refuse. And that's a terrible place. And, um, you know, but... But if I said, I'm in a horrible place right now, when I say that, I'm speaking of something that's very real. In fact, it's far more real, even though it's non-physical. So David says, you brought me out of a horrible pit. That pit was far more real than any actual hole in the ground. But having said that, there were definitely Bible characters that were in horrible pits, like Jeremiah, well, we haven't got to him, was in a pit, and the Lord did get him out of that horrible pit. Or Joseph was thrown into a pit before he was sold into slavery, but the Lord delivered him from that too. So sometimes we've got figurative language in the Psalms, but even though it's not talking of physical reality, it's talking about a reality that's often much greater. Well, it's definitely David. The Lord delivered him from a pit, but Christ, the Lord delivered him from a terrible pit too. You know, he died on the cross. He went into... His soul redeemed all of our souls. The Lord delivered him out of that place and set him back on a firm place. Verse 5, David says, um, Many, Yahweh my God, are the wonderful works that you have done. If I would declare and speak them, they cannot be counted. God has done so much, David couldn't even count it all. And um, so this isn't speaking about just the things we know of. This is talking about all things, including things we don't have any idea about. And um, in verse 7 and 8, it says, Behold, I have come. It is written about me in the book, in the scroll. I delight to do your will, my God. Yes, your law is in my heart. Now, this is definitely talking about the Messiah. And in Hebrews chapter 10, it quotes this and it says, Behold, a body you have prepared for me, I have come to do your will. So the Hebrew writer of Hebrews quotes right here. 
He's definitely talking about Jesus. So we know that this psalm is definitely talking about Jesus. And, um, but interestingly, it says that your law is in my heart. We know the Old Testament law was written on stone, Ten Commandments. But in Jeremiah 31, 33, it says that the new covenant was going to come and this would be written on hearts. Now, if you're a Christian and you've become a believer, the Lord has put his law on your heart. And what that means is we don't need stone. We don't need anything in writing. The things of God just matter to us. They've become put into our heart, so they're just important because the Lord's changed us. Well, David was one of those people who had the law written on his heart. Even though um, the Ten Commandments existed, he was a person where the law mattered to him. There are a lot of people in Israel who had the law, but they didn't want to follow the law. They kind of either forced themselves to or... They dodged it when no one was watching. But David had the law written on his heart, so the things of God mattered to him. And in the new covenant, since Christ has come, we too have the law written on our heart, and I hope you do as well. If you don't have the law written on your heart, then you are going to love things that God hates. But if you do that, you're, you're going to lead yourself down a terrible, terrible path. We should love the things that the Lord loves, and hate the things that the Lord hates. And when our heart's like that, now we're becoming like Christ. Now, a few more interesting verses here. In verse 10, it says, I have not hidden your righteousness in my heart. And um, But it says, I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. So there are, there are some people that uh, pretend they're not Christians. Now, they want to be a believer and a follower of the Lord, but they might go to their workplace they might be embarrassed, so they hide the fact that they're a follower of Christ. In other words, they hide the righteousness uh, within themselves so it cannot be seen. Well, David here says that he did not do that. Christ certainly did not do that either, and we are not to do that either ourselves. In verse 12, it says, Innumerable evils have surrounded me. Iniquities have overtaken me. More than the hairs of my head, my heart has failed me. So this is true of David. All the terrible things happened to him. And when he said his heart had failed him, it just meant that he, he just couldn't handle it emotionally anymore. And we see that in some of the other Psalms where he's crying out to the Lord, help me quickly. But Christ, this is so interesting, evil did surround him. He went to the cross and his heart literally failed him. This is a prophecy that's true of Christ. He couldn't handle the sorrow. He said, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? But then his heart literally failed him. Someone, one of the Roman soldiers was there, shoved a spear into Christ's side, and the Bible says that blood and water flowed out. Not just blood, but blood and water. And apparently, I'm no expert, but medically that means that the heart had failed. In other words, there'd been a heart attack, something had ruptured in there, and so water was flowing out as well as blood. So this here says that my heart has failed me. In Christ's case, his heart literally failed him. And the psalm finishes with this thought, a prayer, kind of a prayer. Let them, and them is the, the enemies of David, David's enemies, let them be disappointed and confounded, those who seek my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor. Now, this is one of those imprecatory prayers, you know, where, Lord, destroy my enemies. Now, if this was true of David, we'd get it completely. Because he had those enemies and, he, and, you know, he'd struggled with them. And he did pray many of these types of prayers, Lord, destroy my enemies. But it's very, very hard to imagine Jesus 
you know, saying, you know, Lord, destroy my enemies, <laughs> let them be confounded. Unless we're unless we're thinking of Christ's enemies at, a, at the higher and the more ultimate level. If we're thinking of people as God's enemies, we we don't see any hint that Christ prayed to destroy people. We see there were people who were his enemies like the Pharisees and Jesus cried for them. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know, how I wished I could have gathered you. So the, the fact is his enemies on earth, some of them were destroyed in time when Jerusalem was destroyed and other things happened, but he mourned for them. And um, But there is an enemy that Jesus came specifically to destroy. He said that he had come to destroy the works of the evil one. So the enemy speak, that's speaking, spoken of here from Christ's perspective is the evil one, Satan, the deceiver. And this psalm, let him, the devil, be disappointed. Let him be confounded. Let him be turned back. Let him be brought to dishonor. It's completely correct. And thank God that it happened. So we've got a wonderful psalm. Psalm written from David's perspective. The Lord took him out of that horrible place, the miry pit, and set him on a rock. And that's true of you and I. If you've been delivered from your sins, <laughs> and I hope you have, and if you've been lifted out of the most horrible of places and you've been put on the rock, which is Jesus Christ, thank God for that. Lord, I thank you for Psalm 40. I thank you for the work of Christ. I thank you for the example of David. I thank you we've been delivered by the blood of Christ. What a wonderful psalm. And Lord, let the praise of God always be in our hearts. Let us always rejoice in the goodness of the Lord. Amen. Psalm 41. Blessed is he who considers the poor. Yahweh will deliver him in the day of evil. Yahweh will preserve him and keep him alive. He shall be blessed on the earth, and he will not surrender to him. He will not surrender him to the will of his enemies. Yahweh will sustain him on his sickbed and restore him from his bed of illness. I said, 
Yahweh, have mercy on me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil against me. When, he'll, when will he die and his name perish? If he comes to see me, he speaks falsehood. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes abroad, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me. An evil disease, they say, has afflicted him. Now that he lies, he shall rise no more. Yes, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate bread with me, has lifted up his heel against me. But you, Yahweh, have mercy on me and raise me up, that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me, because my enemy does not triumph over me. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and Amen. Okay, so this is the last psalm in book one. Now, if you hadn't already realized, the book of Psalms, 150 chapters, is broken into five smaller books. So it's kind of like a Pentateuch of Psalms. Penta means five. And the first five books of the Bible is called the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the law. The Psalms is also broken into five books of praise or five books of singing. So Psalm 41 is the last of the last Psalm of book one. So when we, um, and some interesting things to note about this, because when the songs were all organized by whoever did that, you know, the, the person who clated them all together and put them into a book, they didn't just slap them together in any old order, but there was a plan. And so, for example, the whole of book one seems to be all Psalms of David. But tomorrow, we no longer have a Psalm of David. It's now going to change. It's going to be all starting with 12, I think, Psalms of Korah all in a row. Now, but interestingly, the end of book one finishes with a benediction. In fact, all the five books finish with a benediction. And the benediction was the very last verse of this psalm. Psalm 41, verse 13, which says, very simply, Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. So that's the benediction. And that little phrase is like often the greeting or the blessing at the end of a church service, which like declares it all over. So we've just had a little blessing at the end of the book one to declare book one over, <laughs> which I think is very cool. But there's something very else very cool going on here too. Book one of, uh, sorry, Psalm one of book one started out with this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And so book one started out with this idea of the type of person who's blessed is someone who walks with God and keeps their mind focused and thinking about him. We get to Psalm 41, the last Psalm of Book 1, and it starts out with this. Blessed is the man, or in this, that would be the NIV, blessed is the one who considers the poor. So this Psalm finishes the book with the idea of the person who does certain things is also blessed. So it's like bookends. The Book 1 starts and finishes with the idea of what it means to be blessed, at the start, you're blessed. The Lord blesses you if you're someone that thinks about him and follows his ways. And the psalm ends with the thought that you're blessed if you're someone who's mindful of the poor and the needy. These are like your bookends. The end and the beginning of book one of the psalms. So all of that's very, very cool. And um, so I've decided to call this psalm a gospel psalm, and you'll see why in just a second. So 
In verse 1, it says, Blessed is he who considers the poor. God will deliver him in the day of evil. Now, when we think of the poor, we think of people who don't have enough money, people who can't feed themselves. And that's certainly a definition of the poor. That's a true definition and something we're mindful of. You know, in the world today, they have an official definition of anyone who lives on less than, is it $5 a day or something like that? Those are considered the poor, or at least the poorest of the poor. In Australia, there are people who are living on, say, less than five or $600 a week, and they're considered poor, something like that. I don't have the exact figures there. So we have a relative, you know, in Australia, which is a wealthy country by comparison to most, we have our own relative standard of what it means to be poor. You know, here in uh, Peace, we have a ministry called Christians Against Poverty. It's a global, like a, a nationwide ministry. We've kind of got the local branch of it. But, you know, we help people who are struggling with poverty. But these people often, it's like too much debt or things like they've lost their job for the moment. Often their income might be in the thousand too, 3,000 a month. So it's not that they're not earning good money, it's often other circumstances which just means they can't balance the budget, pay their bills, that type of thing. So they're poor according to our standard, according to you know our perspective, but they're not poor um, like destitute. You know, Often they're still eating food and that. When the Bible said he who considers the poor, we often think of like say starving people in Somalia or Ethiopia, something like that. However, uh, I've got written here, the definition of being poor in the mind of God, Yeah, when God says the poor, what's he thinking of? It's broader or deeper than our own definition. We think about food and money only, but when Jesus was in the synagogue in Capernaum in Luke chapter 4, and he was reading, and he stood up and read from the scroll, and he said that he had come to deliver the poor, and he had come to feed the hungry, we know that he did feed the hungry, you know, a couple of times he fed the, the 5,000 and the 4,000. We know that he did give food away. Uh, we know he gave some money away on a few occasions. But that's really not what he did. When he came to help the poor, in his mind, he was doing something a bit different to what we often think. In his mind, the poor are the people that don't know the Lord. They don't know the gospel. They're cut off from Christ. In, his, in Christ's mind, these are the poor. And uh, because they lack true riches. So true poverty is something of another order entirely. And if you've got a friend, your friend may be a millionaire, but if he doesn't know the Lord, he's poor. And you might think that he's not that poor because you know, oh, he's doing okay in life, but we don't get a sense of the true destitute state of poverty that people are in when they don't know Christ. When the Bible says here that blessed is the one who considers the poor, we tend to think only about money. We never think about the gospel. And, uh, well, I mean, I mean, I think about the gospel. But, you know, when somebody realizes that the, the true poverty is a lack of the gospel and they make it their life's mission to put the gospel where it's needed, that is a person who considers the poor. I have to just make it very clear. Christ came and he said he had come to help the poor and what he did was a gospel purpose. That was his main work. So blessed are those who take the gospel to heart as important. And then verse 2 has a promise. It says God will preserve him, keep him alive. You know, that person, the person who's mindful of the gospel, it says he shall be blessed on the earth and God will not surrender him to the will of his enemies. So when someone has 
makes the gospel a priority in their life, there are promises. Now, at the same time, we must look at the promises in the deeper way as well, <laughs> because we all know of missionaries who've been speared to death. You know, now they're people who've taken the gospel in a deeper way, and yet the because they've taken the gospel to heart, it's brought them to an untimely end. And you might say, wow, God didn't keep his promise to them. But no, once again, you're looking at the, the meaning of these things in earthly terms and not looking at them with the more real meaning. So we often think that, you know, eternity, it's just kind of like a figurative thing. And, and you know, yeah, sure, God's going to preserve your life. And we, but we think of this life as oh so real and eternity is kind of like a consolation that, oh, yeah, the Lord will look after you in eternity. But it's like it's not a real thing at all when it's the more real thing. So when the Lord says that God will not surrender you to the will of your enemies, who's your enemy? You're thinking it's some person. You know, it's, you know, it's some person in the jungle with a spear in the case of certain missionaries. Or you're thinking it's, your, you know, that person at work that hates your guts and teases you every day. You're thinking of your enemies in terms of people. Christ is thinking of enemies in terms of sin, the devil, you know, things that destroy lives, things that have destroyed the earth. Um, Christ saying that he will not deliver you into the will of your enemies. You know, sin will have no hold upon you. The devil will have no grasp upon you. You'll be delivered into eternal life. Your life will be preserved. These are very good promises and they're wonderful. God will sustain and preserve your life. There's no doubt about it. The life that will be sustained is the ultimate life, the one that matters the most. So there's a more real meaning at work here. And that's why I called this a gospel psalm. Because blessed is the one who considers the poor. The Lord will preserve him. Isn't that wonderful? I think it's terrific. And of course, David then goes on to have his the next bunch of verses describe how he was sick and he was not doing well. And his enemies were saying, you know, ha ha. He's going to die. You know, this is wonderful news. And David is saying, but no, the Lord will sustain me. Well, his life was a physical example of the actual reality of what applies to us. David, um, David had a, some, a terrible situation where it says here in verse 9, My own familiar friend, the one in whom I trust, trusted, the one who ate bread with me, has lifted up his heel against me. David had a very close friend, someone that would even eat with him at the table. You know, so they would share meals together and this friend turned against him. We're almost entirely certain that this is Ahithophel. We talked about Ahithophel when we were going through the book of 2 Samuel. Ahithophel sided with Absalom against David and there were reasons for that. We talked about all of those. And um, so David had actual enemies on the ground, but these are the ones that, that we see um, they, they speak to us of our enemies, which, you know, are, are also the Lord's enemies. And the Lord, when he was at the Last Supper with all of his disciples, he dipped bread <laughs> in the bowl and gave it to who? Judas. And what we got here is a prophecy. My own familiar friend, the one in whom I trusted, the one who has eaten bread with me, has lifted up his heel against me. So even in the middle of this psalm, there's a prophecy about what would happen to Christ. So David was speaking about his betrayal by a close friend, but Jesus also had a betrayal by his close friend. And um, it may be that you and I go through some betrayals too, but even if we do, not everyone does, 
most people will have some small betrayals because we live in the earth and people are broken and uh, people do things sometimes that we don't expect. But even if there are betrayals in our lives, one thing we have for sure, we have the Lord. We have his promise that's in this psalm that he will preserve us. He will be with us. And the psalm finishes with this wonderful encouragement. Blessed is God. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. No matter what happens to us, we have an unshakable Lord. And that's the most terrific thing of all. Tomorrow, join me for book two. And I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for the Psalms. Lord, they speak to our hearts. I thank you, Lord, that you went through betrayal for us. And Lord, we're so grateful that we can cling to Christ despite what does happen. And uh, Lord, I thank you that even amongst it all, great good is among us. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.